0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 118 Skin of Evil.
1: Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Kenneth T. Ray, and I'm Jonathan T. Champion. Alright, let's do the alternate open. I'm not sure which one we're going to go with. Let's let's, let's try this one. Are you, are you ready? Okay, yeah, Alright, right. hold on.
2: Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I would say it's good to have you with us, but it's not. I don't need you. I don't need any of you. But I'm so lonely...
1: Ken.
2: Ken. Yeah. You okay? <coughs> Reading you should never eat pretzels when we record.
1: That'll really take it out of you. Yeah. That was very good by the way, though. I like your armus. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no I like problem. my armus too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't like their armus? Uh, Skin uh, of Evil. Should we say what the what the episode is if people haven't picked up on it?
2: We sure should, yeah. yeah. Skin of Evil. And uh nearing the end of season one. That of- is
1: that is that is still amazing to me. It seems like only um, three and a half months ago that we started. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it kind of was, <laughs> yeah.
1: And now here we are, three and a half months later. Go figure. Hey, before we get into uh, today's show and skin of evil and all that it entails, mm-hmm. um, I want to remind people about a really cool thing that uh, that we're part of. We're part of you know Roddenberry Entertainment, <gasps> which every now and then still kind of stymies me, but we are. And and so that that sort of folds us into this whole big list of other stuff that uh, you can find at Roddenberry dot com. There's stuff there you can buy. There's stuff there you can you know check out. There's 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 philanthropy things. There's there's a whole community aspect to it. But we're not talking about those. We're talking about all the other sort of properties, I guess, uh, that Roddenberry is part of, like uh, 1701 News and um, Earth Final Conflict. Which man, I I loved Earth Final Conflict when it was on. I don't know. Anyway, there's that um Andromeda, and then there are like the the cartoon kind of stuff, or not cartoon, but comic kind of stuff, everything from the the funny things like Rod and Barry. I'll wait for that to settle in and uh, <laughs> and worth and um, and uh, days days missing, all kinds of stuff to check out, so you know, if you find yourself sitting around one day going, "Man, the internet is just bereft of interesting things, oh, you're wrong, my friend rodandberry.com dot com is the place to find a lot of it.
2: All right, cool. Yeah. So um, if, you'll, uh, if you'll indulge me, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've got some trivia for today's show. Do you really? I do. Huh. And actually, Ken, I, I, not only do I have a lot of trivia, but I, I've got discovered documents, and I've got more trivia that I want to come back to after you do the recap. So this would be just be a chock-full episode. But uh, we'll kick things off here by saying that uh, Joseph Scanlon, who directed The Big Goodbye directed this show based on a script by joseph stefano and hannah louise shearer it was originally titled the shroud so when you go look at the discovered documents you'll see a lot of them reference the shroud all right now let's talk about denise crosby i mentioned this last episode um that actually symbiosis was her final episode that she shot but clearly this is the final episode that she appears in so remember this one was produced before symbiosis and um Let's put a couple of things to rest. There are rumors and conjecture about how and why she left the show. And uh, it pretty much comes down to what she has said over and over again. She didn't like the way the character was being written. She wasn't given enough to do. And she asked uh, relatively early on to be released from her contract. And, uh, and they did. The production uh, staff allowed her to leave. And uh, she did. And that was that. And it was kind of uh, bittersweet that she felt like she had good material to work with here in her final episode. Now, uh, speaking of that uh, good material she had to work with, uh, Denise says that she is very proud of her scene with Worf. Two bad actors tend to get their best material when the characters are killed off. Just ask Leonard Nimoy. And... um, We also want to talk about uh, Tashiar's demise and how it was written, because it went through a number of hands, not the least of which was Gene Roddenberry's hands. And Ken, you might remember in our supplemental with David Gerald, uh, we talked a little bit about Leonard Mazlish, and uh, he was Gene's lawyer at the time. So the question then becomes, uh, was Tashiar's demise written by Leonard Mayslish? Well, there are rumors to the effect, and um, if you heard our david gerald interview then you know that there is some abraded and hurt feelings on the show in the production staff and um i do have a discovered document from the wga from the writers guild of america inquiring about Maislish's position on the show um saying hey we've heard that you have somebody who is a writer on the show <laughs> and mr Maislish, why isn't he a member of the wga and uh why isn't uh, he paying dues and why isn't he credited and they got a very curt reply back from gene which i also have in discovered documents stating that no, no no he is not a writer um definitively he is not a writer so we may have to revisit that relationship and get additional viewpoints down the road now um Two actors brought life to the role of Armus. Uh, Mark McChesney as the body and Ron Gans as the voice. Uh, the oil slick that Riker slips into was, um, and bear with me here, it is uh, hydroxypropyl methylcellulose. Mm. You're welcome. Very uh, not, tasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <sighs> uh, not, not Metamucil, as he is quoted as saying. <laughs> ah. But it was the uh, methylcellulose and ink. Um, which, yeah, I'm sure just got everywhere. Um, Now, McChesney was standing on a grate in the floor of the set, and he was raised and lowered uh, in and out of the goo. He didn't have an air tank when they did that. He had to hold his breath while he was in there. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if they would allow you to do that now. Um, It was all practical special effects. There were no opticals to create ARMAs. And um, hey, we've got a, a new character. Walker Boone arrives as Chief Engineer
1: Lynch. And, whoa, whoa, whoa uh, hold on, Chief yeah. Engineer Lynch, Chief Engineer Lynch. That, that
2: oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. He, he's actually. You may remember him as Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch. Oh yeah. Oh well. yes. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, I didn't. I didn't recognize the name.
2: But hey, but thank goodness we've solved the chief engineer problem once <laughs> and for all. I know. This guy is good. Um, actually, you might have had Argyle back. Um, I know that that's kind of weird to hear, but in our discovered documents, we actually have notes between uh, Bob Justman and Maurice Hurley suggesting Argyle rather than yet another new character. Um, And we also have uh, I just I got a ton of stuff for this episode, so I wanted to get it out there. We have uh, a shooting schedule. I found it interesting that they shot all the bridge and ship interiors first, holodeck scene in the middle, and then all the scenes on the planet Varga at the end. Um, And it's kind of the opposite of the way that we saw a lot of that stuff done on the original series, where they get all the other stuff done first and then come back and finish up on the bridge.
0: Writing for Tasha Yar really seems to be hitting its stride. Let's see what a well-written Tasha Yar is up to this week.
1: Prologue: The Enterprise is on its way to pick up Counselor Troy. She's in Lucky Shuttlecraft 13 on her way back from a conference. You ever seen Troy at a conference? It's kind of fine. The Enterprise is cruising at impulse power because some work is being done realigning the dilithium crystals. Worf and Tasha talk over the ship's martial arts competition in three days. Yar asks Worf for a bit of help practicing. He says, sure, and that she is favored in the ship's pool. Yar seems touched that Worf has bet on her. So... We'll see how things go in three days. The Enterprise receives an emergency call from the shuttle. Systems are failing, and it's being buffeted by... something. They're still about an hour away from the shuttle at impulse, and Picard calls Main Engineering, where he gets Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch says it'll be at least 20 minutes before they have warp. Picard says they don't have that kind of time. So Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch says he'll align them by hand. Whatever. Things are getting tense for the shuttle. It's caught in the gravity of an uninhabited planet. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch says it'll be at least three minutes before they can go to warp, which is at least enough time for the opening credits. Act 1. The Enterprise has lost contact with Counselor Troy's ship, and Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch is still aligning the dilithium crystals. They skip the final check and gun it. The planet where the shuttle went down is a barren rock. Enough atmosphere to get by, but no vegetation and no lifeform readings. Not even from the shuttle. Oh wait, there's life in the shuttle, but it seems to be buried under a lot of debris. They can't beam anyone up. Riker puts together an away team consisting of Data, Dr. Crusher, and Tasha Yar. I hope she doesn't get injured. She's got that martial arts competition in three days. The away team beams down close to the shuttle. The only thing between them and it is a sort of puddle of black ooze. But when they try to go around it, it moves to block their path, no matter which way they go. Riker lets Picard know that they have a problem, though... They can't say what kind of problem. They leave a frequency open to the ship. Data says there's nothing about this thing that would read as life to the Enterprise crew. No known proteins, no circulatory system, no brain. Yet it seems to keep following them. It may be alive. Very good, Tin Man, says the Ooze, as a sort of humanoid shape takes form from its surface. Act 2. The Ooze thing has a name. It's Armus. Picard thinks Armus may have brought the shuttle down. Riker explains that they have injured people on the shuttle and that they would like to help them. Armus is not interested in letting them help the people on the shuttle, though. Instead, they can leave. Yar says, look, we're not going to hurt you, but we are going to help our people. Armus warns her not to try it, but try it she does, and is knocked sideways as a result. Riker and Data open fire on Armus, while Dr. Crusher goes to check on Tasha. All to no avail. The phasers have no effect on Armus, and Tasha is dead. Well, come on, it's the 24th century. Dead's just like a thing, right? The away team is beamed back to the Enterprise. Crusher goes to work reviving Yar, and it doesn't work. After several attempts to revive her over what seemed like several minutes, Tasha Yar is pronounced dead. On the planet, Armus is enveloping the shuttlecraft. Inside, Troy is coming to and trying to call the Enterprise but Armus is blocking her transmission. Instead, Armus starts goading her. "'I killed your friend. Want to know why?' Troy says there's no point, since the act was without reason. "'Exactly,' says Armus. "'It was just fun.' Troy says that's not true. "'Exactly.' Armus thought it would be amusing, but it wasn't. Armus agrees. It was too easy. He wanted Yara to suffer. Troy says Armus won't get what he wants to break the spirit of the Enterprise crew." ''Oh, is that what I want?'' asks Armus. ''Cool! Then that's what I'll have.'' On the Enterprise, senior staff is kind of freaking out, though Picard tells them to stow it... ...until they free the people on the shuttlecraft. Picard names Worf, acting chief of security. Riker figures Armus is letting everyone except Tasha live for a reason. It knows they won't leave while there are still people on the shuttle. LaForge says he may be able to see something in the creature that they can't see... He'll be on Riker's next away team. The warp says he won't. The goal is not to engage Armas, but to free the people on the shuttle. That can best be accomplished with him at tactical. Act three: the away team finds Armas all over the shuttle. Armas is taunting Troy. No, you can't talk to your friends because keeping you quiet causes them distress. Troy quizzes Armas on why he was surprised that members of her community would come back for her. Is it because? He was abandoned? By the ones who make him so angry? That touches a nerve. Or it would if Armus had a nervous system. It moves away from the shuttle and towards the away team. At tactical, Worf notices a dip in the energy field covering the shuttle, though it's back to full now. Picard wants them to keep an eye on that. Riker tries to start negotiations with Armus. Armus allows Dr. Crusher to talk by communicator with Troy. Troy says She's fine. Crusher begs to help the crew, but instead, Armus starts touring with the away team, stealing Data's instruments and knocking Jordy's visor from his face, foiling any attempts to help until they stop trying to help. Then the whole thing gets boring for Armus. He goes back to enveloping the shuttle, talking over the emptiness that plagues him. He explains to Troy what he is. He was part of a race that perfected a way to bring all negativity to the surface. A skin of evil which they shed and dumped on this planet. Troy says Armus has her pity, which makes him angry. Angry enough to drag Riker away from the away team. Armus has enveloped Riker, and if anybody does anything, Armus says he will kill Riker. Act 4. Worf has picked up a pattern on the energy field around the shuttle. It seems to drop when Armus is dealing with Troy. Picard decides to beam down to try to talk to Deanna. Armis torments Troy. I've got Riker. He's a fighter. You should feel it. She says she does. He really is just torturing her. Captain Picard is now on the scene. Armis hops off the shuttle to talk to him. He won't say outright whether Riker is alive, though data suggests that death is boring for Armis at this point. So Riker's probably still among the living. Armis chides Picard. Don't you want to negotiate? No. I want to see my people on the shuttle Well, entertain me Picard says no So Armus says he'll do it himself He takes control of Data, forcing the android to point a phaser At the heads of everyone on the away team Including his own He says the doctor will have to choose who dies But she refuses Data says he won't feel guilty about whoever dies Since it'll be Armus doing the killing Not him Data also says Armus should be destroyed And Picard Well, Picard's had enough he says he and the away team are leaving. Armis taunts him. I thought you cared about your people. Picard says he does, which is why he has to see his people. Barring that, he's out. So Armis expels a gooey Riker. Act 5. Riker's alive and fine, though he's covered with Armis. Now Picard says he wants to see the people in the shuttle. Picard orders the away team to beam up. He'll stay behind. Alone, Armis tells Picard that he wants off this rock. Picard says he has the means, but first he needs to see the people on the shuttle. Armis relents, beaming Picard to Troy. He tells her about the weakening field when Armis is enveloping the shuttle. She thinks having to face the source of his anger makes Armis weak. And there's the plan. Back outside the shuttle, Picard starts quizzing Armis about being abandoned. The more he faces his anger, the weaker the field surrounding the shuttle gets... When it drops low enough, the Enterprise beams up the people in the shuttle, and then the captain. The Enterprise sets orange cones around Armus's planet. A memorial is held for Tasha, presided over by Tasha.
2: The end. You know, Ken, I can't remember the last time I enjoyed a gooey Riker. (laughs)
1: Um, (laughs) that is going to be a euphemism for something that people should never say out loud. (laughs) I I, I feel fairly certain and, and and I'm sorry for that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is usually the part of the show where we, we have just sort of our random notes. just our, our stream of consciousness notes. Like, Hey, did you notice that thing? That thing was weird. That was crazy. We don't have a lot of those this time because i think we both felt like this episode was uh bigger and deserved kind of deeper discussion so i just have a handful of notes okay that, that we can knock through and one of the first things that i noticed that i was really impressed by um armis the oil slick with no apparent organs is millions of years old probably speaks perfect english and uh, is deeply introspective and and he has a sense of irony and understands American pop culture, like the Wizard of Oz. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, calling him the Tin Man, you know, I, I mm-hmm. that's, generally speaking, you get hung up on, wow, everybody speaks English more than I do. Mm-hmm. Calling him the Tin Man actually did bother me, because uh, he's not tin. Yeah. And it does seem unlikely that Armis would have seen the Wizard of Oz. He's had a lot of time to kill. Well, I guess he has, but he hasn't had a lot yeah. of people around to, you know... I don't know. Maybe he enveloped everything that was on the shuttle and maybe they had a copy to of the Wizard of Oz there. Of Oz with I'm going to try out this Tin Man thing. See, an, yeah. on a normal episode, you're right, this is a bigger episode than this. On yeah. a normal episode, though, uh, Data would have cocked his head and said, Tin Man?
2: Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I did have to wonder, though, when he talks about the Titans and, and we kind of get a little of the history of Armas. could those beings have been related to any of the races that we've met before in TOS or the animated series or, or any of that? Because we're constantly running into these super advanced, super old aliens mm-hmm. that um, that have abilities far beyond anything we could comprehend. <laughs> and I kept thinking that's not it's not a bad tie in potentially.
1: Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of who it might be, though. I mean, there were the Metrons. Mm-hmm. The, the Metrons. Yeah. Metrons. Yeah. Okay. It could be the Metrons. That's right. The Metron is the voice of the one true God. I'm sorry. Right. That's dogma all over yeah. me there. Um, it's, uh, so it could be the Metrons. It could be the God thing that was um, on the animated series yeah, that I can't remember. You know, Uh, voiced uh, by Nichelle Nichols.
2: Oh, uh, and Bem. Yes. Okay. It could be that.
1: Or it could be the God thing above the Edo. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, yeah, Yeah. we we might have run run across them before. Of course, they could also be a long dead race that, you know, it turns out they needed their skin of evil to actually survive.
2: They need their pain. They know. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right. Um
2: some production things that I wanted to point out. So uh Marina Sirtis took uh losing Denise Crosby from the show particularly hard. You may remember that um they had actually been up for each other's roles. Um you, uh, maybe you don't remember that from from the uh the discussion that we had at the very beginning where um Marina Sirtis was up for Tashiar and Denise Crosby was up for Deanna Troy. Hmm. And uh, and they became friends. And um, it's interesting to know that when they shot that scene, so Denise was on set doing her lines, and um, Marina's reaction. And I, I wanted to bring it up here because I thought it was great. You know, she she really is connected to that scene, and um, so that that was really happening for mm. them on set. And um, yeah, I, I thought it it helped to really sell. That scene. Um, And then one of the other kind of production notes that I thought of that I wanted to include here, and that's something I didn't want to talk about on the trivia. So Gene Roddenberry argued for a quick death for Yar, appropriate for a security officer. And it originally came even earlier in the episode, so they they kind of got to work in that dialogue between Yar and Worf about the martial arts competition a little later, kind of stretch that out, move her death at least a little further away from the opening but Gene also argued against killing Armus out of any kind of revenge or retaliation and uh, there were a lot of mixed opinions on the production staff of what to do and in fact this is another one of those examples where the script wasn't entirely done uh, except just within a few days before the cameras started to roll and uh, many felt that the end product wasn't great wasn't as good as it could have been Uh, but I guess we'll discuss that coming up
0: one assumes that this episode of mission log is from the filterless pack because it is certainly not a lotar
1: So one of the things that we do, or one of the things that we don't do, actually, is we don't check each other's notes. We like to keep our discussion fresh. We like to keep it real. We like to keep it like, like we just both sat and watched an episode of Star Trek together, and now we're talking about it, you know, without really much prep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, occasionally, I wish we didn't do that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting idea that you just brought up before we went to, a, well, before we went from there to here. What do you think about the idea of them killing Armas out of revenge? I mean, this actually, this seems to be um, Gene Roddenberry really, again, staking his, uh, staking his claim, putting his flag in the ground on who we are, Yeah. right? I mean, and, and, and part of me says, that's, that's just a fascinating idea. It never even occurred to me that Picard would kill him, that Picard would try to kill Armis out of revenge. But, right. but w- when you mention that, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, that's very much not Picard, and yet... I mean, he is now faced with an incredible loss. He has lost a member of his crew uh, for the first time. I think for the first time, right? Have we? Yeah. Had? yeah. No, no, no. There was a the guy in engineering that uh, there was a guy in engineering that got killed one time,
0: but he, has, <laughs> he hasn't. Had,
1: well, I mean, plenty of times. But I mean, he hasn't had like just just somebody single out a member of his crew and just kill them just for the, just for the sake of killing them. And, right. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. I mean, it might have been a more satisfying end in a way, and it might have been a more troubling end in a way. Just never even crossed my mind that Picard might do that.
2: Well, let's think about this from a story point of view because I, I never thought that Picard would do that either. But if you had ended the episode with, even under duress, even if Picard had not wanted to kill Armas, but for some reason they had to, take this back to the original series, it would have been a moment where they realize that the Enterprise is in danger and they can't, even if they don't want to kill Armas, they can't get out of there unless they kill Armas. That, that would have been the dilemma. That would have been the only way to justify it. Now, but if so had,
1: justifying hmm. it, though, doesn't interest me at all. If they had gotten back up to the ship and Picard had ordered them to fire on it.
2: Picard that, would have never done that. And I don't think Kirk would have done that either.
1: Um and that's what I think would have made it a very interesting story. I mean, not that yeah, it's not but, an interesting story anyway, but I mean if you if you actually come to that point where you draw that out of those characters, those iconic characters, those they would never do that in a million years characters. Although mm-hmm. we can certainly I think movies are bad for Star Trek. Do you want to jump the timeline? Sure. He yeah. he's he's gonna kill the Borg in first yeah. contact whether they deserve it or not that's just going to happen now i won't, I won't spoil everybody. Be- no remember he's he has that whole fight with alfred woodard about you know yeah i mean he's just hell bent on vengeance at that point that is what he is all about now he comes to yeah i'm just spoiling the heck out of first contact <laughs> it's it's been out for like 20 years if you haven't seen <laughs> right, it that's right. on you okay right. same thing happens with uh, with with kirk in um in star trek 6 right I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of out for vengeance. Well, not out for vengeance. He's just, he's, just, he's just settled in his hate. Now, of course, he does grow out of it as well. But, I mean, there are those moments where you think, wow, these guys have lost their principles. And I'm wondering, is that something they would ever do in the TV series or is that just a movie thing? Do movies have to be so big that you'll go ahead and do that? I, I had Skin of Evil happened in a theater instead of in front of your television, would we have had that moment where we thought Picard was actually going to lose it?
2: Uh, I I think it, it maybe in a movie, maybe in a movie, but I I think in this case it would have hurt things dramatically, because you don't get to have the farewell to Tasha, you don't get to end on that, then you just end with this really
1: bizarre killing that... I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm retconning all over the place. I'm retconning. Yeah, okay. all over. So, so he kills, and then they yeah. go on the holodeck, and then she says something about, you know, how wonderful and how good and blah, 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 Picard is right after <laughs> he's just done this horrible <laughs> thing. That that adds... and, and,
2: and whatever killed me, please don't take revenge <laughs> on it. <laughs> you know?
1: That'd be great, because I know you would right. never do that. Right. Kind of what a dad would be like if I had a dad. Right. Oh, this is yeah. awkward. This is, this is. Turn that No, off, I, I,
2: I, I, <laughs> I think it would have it, it wouldn't have played right. At yeah, all. Okay. I, I would have never believed it out of Picard. Yeah. And I, I think the only thing that is, you know, out of those story notes that could have played out differently. It's sort of like the old bait and switch that we got with Star Trek II, where you open the movie killing Spock yeah. because everybody was anticipating it. Yeah. But then you say, well, we didn't really kill Spock. Wait ninety minutes. Now we're gonna kill Spock. And
1: now he's really dead.
2: Now right. he's really, really dead. Yeah.
1: All right, I apologize because we're debating something that never actually happened. That's just that. That was a. That's a. That's a fascinating idea to me. And I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna say it would have been better that way. And I'm not gonna say it would have been worse that way. I, I will say it would have added nuance. It would have added different things to the characters that. That just it never it would there. have. I, but I, it's, very much, it's very much in keeping with what Gene Roddenberry said he wanted Next Gen to be, that it doesn't even come up on the screen. That there's not yeah. even a moment of them going, well, now we have to kill this thing, right? Because it's a jerk. Right. Which is really much, I mean, pretty much what that would have been about. Yeah. You know, jerk it, like might you be a mentioned. little weak because it did kill to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's more than being a jerk.
2: It is. But, but they put the orange cones out. Yep. you right. Yeah, they did. They actually... Said that they were doing it. Yep. So um yeah, I, I think the only way they would have actually killed Armor just turned that ship around and unloaded a volley of photon torpedoes at that planet. Yeah. <laughs> which probably would have been a bad idea. It might have made Armas stronger. We don't know.
1: Um, <laughs> good point that. You know. Uh
2: but I think the only way they would have figured out and then killed Armus is under dire circumstances.
1: Mm. Well that's I, that's boring. <laughs> well,
2: all right, well, let's talk about the other stuff in this episode. You
1: mean the stuff that was actually in the episode? Some
2: of it was actually in there, Yes. Okay. Yeah, go That's for it. Um, all right, Tasha's death. Yeah. So, watching that... I just I got flooded with a million questions and ideas, and I thought it was so interesting to think about that moment because it is for dramatic purposes. It feels like, okay. well, how are we going to say a goodbye to an actor slash character? Oh, here we'll we'll tack this thing in. But in the world of Star Trek and the context of Star Trek, boy, did I just think that that uh, that was rife for discussion. Um, First of all, I wanted to know why she decided to record it and when she decided to record it. She's in her uniform. Yep. You know, um, so she did it after she joined Starfleet. She did it after getting assigned to this particular crew. Yes. Yes. So does she do that then every time she gets a new assignment? Say, okay, well, I got a new captain. I got a new first officer. I got to figure out who I'm going to be friends with. I got to figure out who to say goodbye to. <laughs> so, well, no, all you
1: know, Bear in mind, uh, she didn't do it right when she got to the Enterprise, though, because she's telling them all what she's learned from them. Yeah, right, right, right. So, so yeah. this is like every now and then, I'm guessing. Yeah, so do you regularly
2: update that thing?
1: And does everybody?
2: <laughs> yeah, right! Why right. does everybody do that?
1: Yeah. That's a really good. It's a good question. I mean, she did say as she began it that if they're watching this, then she's dead, and she probably died, you know, in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes a bit more sense. I mean, most of the people, you assume that. I mean, we joke about red shirts all the time and how quickly they die and how easily they go. But then somebody else is, you know, gets wise and says, "Well, actually, statistically, they, it, it, red shirts don't die that often." Nor, mm-hmm. nor that mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Right. Um, she's putting herself uh, like she's at the front line. She's always in harm's way. Right. Especially at yeah. the beginning of the season when she's drawing a phaser on anything that moves. <laughs> right. And and so she may have a, a, more of a sense of her mortality. I mean, just because I mean, part of her job is to get between anything that might kill anybody else on the ship and her. I mean, right. and, and it and them. You, you get what I'm saying. She oh, yeah. she's basically she she might die at any time. Right. And so yeah, she'll go and record those, I guess. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just but but every now and then you would have I, to I guess, you, I guess you keep would. that thing up to date. But but then that's where I think the technology uh intersecting with her Ability and decision to do that. I, this is where I think it gets really interesting. So, the other questions that popped into mind were well, did she record more than one? So, you have that group of friends who you hope are at your <laughs> memorial service, but then do you have another hologram for her civilian friends, for other people, for people on the lower decks that maybe the bridge officers don't know she hangs out with? You know, that, that's a whole thing. And if that is the case, is the holodeck playing back the parts that are relevant for those people who are assembled there. Is the holodeck making any kind of decision or, or editing process? Um, you know, think about it. What if one of those people who Tasha is addressing had died on that same mission? Or you know, if <laughs> Tasha was leaving a message to somebody that those people had never heard of? So does she record... Yeah, okay, I've got my Picard message. I got my Troy message. I got my Riker message. Um, but maybe one of those people didn't make it back. Or maybe there's somebody else here who I didn't record a message for. Is the holodeck thinking this through?
1: I'm sorry, I'm just I'm fixing. I, I wish they had added something in. And to you, Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch. <laughs> yes. You taught me the importance of knowing who you are and letting everybody else know.
2: And letting <laughs> everybody else know. Yes. Yeah. It would have been yeah.
1: actually kind of funny, right, if she had just thrown in some name. And to you, Ensign Sanchez. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Ensign, right. Ensign, Sh- do we know it? Do we have a... <laughs> oh, pause. Can, can we get Ensign Sanchez up here, please? I feel like en- he should
2: be here. Chief Engineer Argyle, wherever you may be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chief Engineer... Uh, lady from the second episode. Right. And chief engineer, other guy. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> she, you're right. She would have to make a whole tape just for all the chief engineers. All the
2: engineers. Yeah. yeah. But, but think about it. So Tasha records it, but the holodeck interpolates it. It it, it puts it together. And, and if so, this raises a really fascinating discussion about death and remembrance. I mean, today, people leave video messages. Yeah, but before they die, not not everybody, but you see it more and more often. And and obviously in the past, people, they'll leave written records. They, They sort of get out what they want to say. And I was just sort of blown away at the idea that if the holodeck can simply keep pumping out simulations of people, how does this truly fundamentally mess with our grieving process? I mean, you might miss somebody terribly when they die. But what if your computer could manifest a perfectly rendered interactive version of them at will at any time you wanted to see them? I think there's something really amazing, but incredibly disturbing about that idea. We haven't seen Wesley go into the holodeck and recreate his father. Hmm. We haven't seen. Well, you know, we we didn't have a holodeck during the original series unless you're counting the animated series, but for all the people who died on the enterprise, not the least of which is Spock, mm-hmm. you know, we have fuzzy things about him. We have the videotape running in it, but this technology in this future, this technology is a real thing. And just going back and, you know, reading a letter from your grandfather or, or looking at a picture of somebody, you could actually walk into a room and interact with them. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. But I think it's also potentially a big, big problem. That you would never really be able to create that separation and let that person go. Um so I don't know what to do with that, but it, it, it sat with me in a really strange way after watching this.
1: I guess you would have to assume that there are social norms to be dealt with, right? I mean that yeah. somebody would have to step in and go, "Okay, dude, this is getting a little creepy." On the other hand, go back to the discussion that we had about Minuet. Mm-hmm. Is she real? Is is the relationship that Riker has with her real? And I think we decided, mm, yes and no. <laughs> well, it, but at a certain point it doesn't matter because
2: Riker's reaction, his emotional reaction to that, is real.
1: Okay. So then, so then, yeah. tell me, and 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 I'm not saying. I'm not saying what it's going to sound like I'm saying. Okay. What's the difference between that and, let's say, it might have been an interesting second season if they had had Tasha Yars like living on the, inter- like, living on the holodeck for people. Hmm. Not living on the holodeck, or, or is she living on the holodeck at that point? What is she at that point? But l- let's leave off that. it would make a great novel if somebody wants to write it. Um, if, if, if we establish that, that they can have relationships on the holodeck with constructs, like like Dixon Hill and his little friend, or uh, or, or 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 Riker and Minuet. <laughs> if they're real enough to do that, then then why couldn't you say that that the relationship with Tasha Yar is real enough? I mean, yeah. you say it's important for people to let go, but why would it be exactly?
2: Ah uh, no yeah all right no. <laughs> No, you're blowing my mind beyond my original mind-blowing.
1: Well, I thought that's I thought that's yeah. what you were saying, though. I mean, it
2: is. Well, it kind of is. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's the, the. And that feels wrong that to me. Alone. Don't misunderstand. Yeah. That feels wrong to me. Right. And yet, I'm trying to figure out. I mean, why necessarily? Yeah. There are places that let you clone your dog. There are places that let you clone your dog. Mm -hmm. And I think about it from time to time because I love my dog. Now, Mm -hmm. people may have actually heard some dog noise in this episode because today my dog (laughs) is not being the most (laughs) lovable dog in the world, but I love my dog. And every now and then I think, I kind of want to do that because I never want to lose this dog. But here's the thing. It's not going to be the same dog. If that happens, it wouldn't be the same. And yet there's part of me that just tears my heart out to think about losing him. And if you say, oh, well, there's a way that you don't have to exactly Part of me is like, well, that that sounds good, but then I think, well, but maybe I don't want that, or maybe there are other dogs that I'm supposed to, you know, to be around, or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. It's it's, yeah, yeah technology is actually. It's hard to say. Screw up. I'm not going to say technology is going to screw up our ability to function. I will say it's it's a possibility. It's going to change how we function um, quite a bit. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, if I'm the person who goes into that holodeck and, again, have completely free access, interact with whomever I want, whenever I want, even if that means regenerating uh, a a facsimile
1: Mm -hmm.
2: of somebody who died Mm -hmm. a a day ago, a week ago, a century ago,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: does that then mess with my ability to comprehend the finality of death for myself, because I, I, you know, seemingly from my end, well, these people who died never died because I can go in and have any conversation I want to them, want, want with them at I, any time, right? It's it. it, it I, I'm with you. There, there's something about this that doesn't feel right. That actually feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, emotionally. Um, and yet here it is, you know, it, in the scene, Tasha Yar is see-through and, and clearly the hologram is emitted by some kind of thing that she's standing on. Yeah. But we know what the holodeck can do. Right. We've met Minuet. Yes. And holodeck technology will only get better and better as things go along. So, yeah, th- this just left a, uh a truly bizarre thing for me to contemplate.
1: If you don't have a sense of your own mortality, though, I mean, is the concern that you're going to, like, just fly yourself into a sun? I mean... No, I I don't think it's that. Okay. Uh, Because I'm not sure... I mean, one of two things. I mean, boiling it all down very simply, and I apologize, and this is way Mm -hmm. oversimplification, and I get that. And Maybe Mm -hmm. someday someone will write a psychological treatise about what I'm about to say. I don't (laughs) know. Um, If you don't have a clear sense of your mortality, then it seems to me one of two things happen. Either you die, and you didn't have a clear sense of your mortality, and nothing happens after that, or you die, and you go to heaven, or you go to hell, or you go to whatever the afterlife is, and it doesn't matter because you're still there. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're going until you're not going anymore. And and so for you to say, okay, well, if I can talk to all these people, then do I have a clear sense of my mortality? Are you happier for having a clear sense of your mortality? I mean, does it matter? I, mm. I, I contemplate mortality so much more as I get older. And it mm-hmm. kind of bums me out, honestly. Now, on the one yeah. hand, you can say, well, then that, you know, that, 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 that turns your crank. That makes you, you know, go out and do more stuff. That makes you go out and be, you know, better or be... I don't know. It makes you go out and like try things because you know that there's going to be a point where you're not going to be able to do that. But does that necessarily make me happier or better? If I didn't have a clear sense that I was going to die, I would, you know, still be walking around until I'm not walking around anymore. Right. You see what right. I'm saying?
2: I do. I do. Well, and uh, okay. To be clear, there there is a distinction between this idea of the holodeck that is creating a facsimile based on. Whatever the knowledge the holodeck can pull together, as opposed to we pull a Dr. Roger Corby Mm -hmm. and we move a not necessarily a consciousness, but a recreation, you know, all the neurological pathways are the same, whatever that say being stored in the enterprise computer and that being allowed to recreate itself into a a holographic form
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, maybe don't maybe even, just the difference in the technology is. Don't even do the uh, Corby facsimile though. Do Spock's brain. Sure. It, it was Spock's brain. Sure. It was Spock's yeah. brain running that machine. So hey, you yeah. know, it could be like it could be like um, like uh, Futurama, where you have all the heads in the jars. Right. <laughs> you just right. slot one in, and that's you know that's who's on the holodeck. Yeah. 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 yeah this, this is a fun episode. Yeah, sure, it, it, it's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
2: fun. Fun is one word. Again. Fun. Yes.
1: It's fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're not having fun. <laughs> uh, there's, um there's, yeah. It, it's weird because Tasha Yar was very much a maligned character for so much of this, and yet uh, her passing brings up a tremendous amount of stuff. I got to say, really quickly. Mm-hmm. D- d- so, have you written out what you want people to read when you die? No. Yeah. See, it's kind of weird. There's a, this is actually something I think about quite a bit because I had a friend who was a, uh, who was a podcaster, um, and somebody that I met in, you know, in real life, got to know him actually before I started listening to his show, a really great guy. And the problem was he was kind of hit or miss about his shows. He would like, you know, do a show and then he wouldn't do a show for a month and, you know, so he never knew what was going on with him really. And you know, then we found out that he died. Uh. And there was nothing. There was no I mean, it's just like he's you know, he's there, he's talking to you, and then all of a sudden he's not there anymore. And so this whole idea of, you know, recording your recording your thoughts for posterity is actually something that has occurred to me for like the past eight years when I wasn't Uh thinking that much about mortality because, you know, there was this voice that just suddenly wasn't there anymore. At the same time, what do you say and and to whom do you say it? And there really does it, it it feels like like when you think about it. Like when I've thought about doing it, just based on his experience or based on my experience of having lost him, it it just seems like hubris. I mean, it seems it seems like you know, wow, really, you're going to record your thoughts for posterity? Like posterity is going to give a rat? You know, there's yeah, <laughs> yeah. something kind of you're not having fun, John. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, uh, good we, times. We we laugh because otherwise, yes, we would be crying.
1: Yeah, because, um, yeah, because yeah, that, that noise you hear is the howling void screaming for you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, okay, you know what I mean. But, but think about this, okay? <laughs> Every time you go online and and update your status on Facebook or Twitter yeah. or whatever, I mean, you, you're creating this biography of yourself that uh, a more advanced computer could come along and
1: reconstruct you day by day yeah you know let's let's go much simpler than that though and it occurs to me as we're having this discussion for everybody who complains about the pictures of food and for everybody (laughs) who complains about the you know the woman in line in front of me as being really rude comments all of this is really just people going i'm still here yeah totally. that's what it is a picture of my food is look at me I still get to eat.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. And for that, I will not apologize.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there. Yeah. So chicken and waffles for everybody. I know you mm-hmm. can't have them, but I'm just letting you know that, you know, I'm I'm still I'm still out here and still able to enjoy this. You want to move yeah. off the mortality talk?
2: Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Let's please. All right. Um, it, there was one thing that I want to hit about Armas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was interesting. The whole idea of Armas, which I feel like, you know, you can either love or hate the way that He it is rendered Mm -hmm. as an oil slick. Um, But I thought it was kind of a strange and interesting choice. It's kind of this mythological construct. The the Titans created him manifest from their own undesirable traits. And, you know, for starters for me, and I've said this before on the show, it's a little more fi, and I like more sci in my sci-fi, but that's okay. Um, There's something about that whole idea that's kind of mythological you know a a big operatic you know sweeping ideas that that a super advanced godlike race could just shed itself of its undesirable qualities and make that a thing make that a physical thing you Mm -hmm. know um but if there's one thing that we learned from star trek it's that denying your negative side only meets with worse consequences kirk learned it an enemy within and uh, he certainly never forgot it all the way through Star Trek Five, because I said before, he needs his pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, I kind of disagree with you.
2: Okay. Lay it on me.
1: Well, I mean, yes, something negative happens, but it's not felt by the people who shed it. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, no, yeah, they're, they're gone. Yeah. But here's the thing. They may have died out very quickly after they got rid of their negative traits, because... But- they needed that. <laughs>
1: they might have, but they also might have gotten rich and happy and, you know, lived, and lived like wonderful lives forever. That you know, idiot who keeps buzzing the Enterprise with his windows rolled down and the stereo cranked may be the Titans.
2: That's the Titans. They, okay. I mean, there may be those guys
1: because they got nothing now. They, nothing holds them back. Now they're just 100 percent happy. They are like the Tony Robbins of the universe. <laughs> they, um,
2: I, I like, will take my universe, Ken. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they've let go of all the negativity. I see. I wanted to. I wanted to liken it to enemy within as well. Mm-hmm. But there's absolutely no indication that the people who left Armus where he is suffered any ill effects. Mm. And so, yeah, I, 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 I thought of enemy within. And because we had that whole thing where Kirk was walking around with sort of, was, was it Alt Kirk and Logie Kirk, right? I mean, yeah, we, we yeah. had his sort of ugly side and we had his good side, but they were they needed each other. They were dying without each other. There's no indication that the Titans, if that's what we're going to call them, are dying without Armus. Armus is living forever. Mm-hmm. Ar- Armus is just fine in his hate. I mean, he's not happy, right. but, you know, that's why they got rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> because he was because well, yeah, yeah. he was bad and unpleasant and and icky and I can't believe by the way that you're going with oil slick. You live near the Miracle Mile. He's like the tarp that's come to life. He is. He's is the tarp. Yeah. Pits. I wish it's they great. had gone. What is that? Yeah. is that? Is that gasoline? What is that <laughs> smell that goes along with this thing that's you know bubbling up from the ooze every now and then? Right. right. Yeah.
2: So the I don't know. I, of a Six foot sloth. That's my favorite thing there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Armas. Now that you now that you mention it.
2: Yeah.
0: as an age old starship captain i'd say we've been through death and life together so what can we carry forward
2: ken before we finally say goodbye to tashi r we have to say goodbye to this episode. What we like to do when we say goodbye to an episode is we, we like to kind of kind of put it all into context and uh, figure out what we learned and uh, whether or not the show holds up. So so let's start with that. Let's start with the production itself. Ken, does this episode hold up?
1: Generally speaking, I'm more forgiving on these things than you. Mm-hmm. I would say yes. I would say the one thing that doesn't work is when Armus becomes humanoid. If they made it today, he would be CG and it would probably be better. I applaud them for not trying the CG then because it would not have worked, but he's a little stiff. I mean, he's a little, he's very stiff. (laughs) Right. Um, but I like the visual and when he drags Riker in and we see Riker's face sort of um, emerge a little Mm -hmm. bit from the ooze, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, could it be better? Sure, it could be better. Uh, I found actually the mat um, on the holodeck was particularly troubling in this episode. Oh yeah. Um, that last shot of Armus screaming—that uh, again, that overlay, that composting, or whatever you call it, compositing. Compositing, yeah. That compositing is not is not great. I don't care. Um, there was a lot that really worked in this episode. Seeing Crusher struggle. We don't usually see the medical people struggle. Sometimes we'll hear the medical people say, oh, I'm having trouble. But, you know, we don't actually see them struggle. And seeing her, I mean, she's doing stuff at this point. I mean, it comes to a point where they know there's no hope. And she's obviously, I mean, to liken it in our times, it's it's that scene on ER where they, you know, just keep putting the paddles to somebody's chest long after it's dead. And other people have actually stopped participating at this point because it crosses a line someplace from trying to save somebody to just desperation. And we actually saw that with Crusher. In this mm-hmm. episode, not quite as graphic as you see it on ER or something like that. Except they are shooting electrodes into her head, and I meaning they keep and she's obviously she's obviously pushing it beyond a point where they would normally do it, right? Because she's just desperate at that point, and that works really well. I like the scene between Worf and Yar. It they hang on her a little too long, but it's her last episode, and so I understand why they would do that. I mean, there's. I think production-wise this episode does hold up. Even even um Will Wheaton was not insufferable in this episode. I mean it just it works. I mean yeah. to me this episode yeah. works. A little cheap, a little cheesy, but it's the late 80s and it's television and yeah. you know production values get better as we go. So I'm willing to cut it some slack on that. What about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the cheesy and dated stuff, It it, it is what it is, and, mm-hmm. and you kind of have to get past that in this episode. I mean, look, the first time I watched this, however many years ago, I felt like I was kind of done with Tasha Yar. I just didn't really care about the character anymore. I wasn't invested in it, in her anymore. Uh, but this time around, I really felt like I cared and I really felt more emotionally invested in the episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just a side effect of doing Mission Log. You yeah. Know? But, but for whatever reason it was, it, it really struck me emotionally. And and I, I liked watching the characters and I liked getting more involved in the story. Uh, and like I said before, the whole premise kind of feels like this bigger than life this operatic shakespearean thing this idea that that you could have a creature manifest from your psyche it almost goes back to forbidden planet you know the id monster is this thing that the krell were trying to get out of themselves and it just came back to haunt them now we don't see the good side of the titans here we only see what they left behind Mm -hmm. so Ken, if you're right, and they're just a bunch of giant Tony Robbinses running around the universe, so be it. Um, But here's the thing. I really applaud them for killing off the Tasha character, not because you and I have taken shots at the poorly written version of that character, but because Star Trek has had a hard time killing anyone and keeping them dead. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other shows in more modern storytelling where – If you kill somebody, particularly a major character, that's a major event for the show and the other characters have to deal with it. Yeah, we did it with Spock and we did it exceptionally well with Spock, but this is the only other time that we've done that where we've killed off a major
1: character. Um, And you could even argue that we didn't do it with Spock because, I mean, the very next movie we found him. We bring him back yeah. went searching for him and we found him and yeah. we found
2: him. Yeah, uh, but this was handled well. And um, if there was some debate about how and when to kill off Tasha, well, it happened suddenly and horrifically. And like you said, that scene of trying to save her uh was really well done and necessary. Yeah. So, um yeah, so I, I, I liked it, you know, there are things that don't hold up, but I think overall it does hold up and I was glad to get to revisit it. Um but well, let's talk about messages. We we found deep ideas. Well, wait,
1: before we get yeah. there, I oh, I yeah, do yeah. have to say you you mentioned this in the um in the uh, in, in the first part of the show. Mm. I totally applaud uh, Gene Roddenberry's decision to make her death quick. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, yeah. it, the whole, you know, the lingering and the waiting and the whole, you know, getting the chance to actually say what you want to say right before you, you know, pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, they're things that we're used to and they can certainly be, they can certainly be tear jerkers and they can certainly pull at the heartstrings. Um, there's something absolutely brutal that would just about, oh, yeah, look, there she goes again. She's going to run off and do, oh. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, just like yeah. that's it. That's your goodbye. Now, yeah. I mean, writing the writing the yeah you know, the thing at the end where she you know, recorded the thing for everybody is, is. So I mean, you do get a little bit of softening once you get to that, right. but yeah, the fact that there was there was not even a moment of her going. Right. Right. She's walking around. She's no longer walking around. Yeah. Um That's that's uh. That's a deft bit of storytelling, I think. She's she's
2: security. So yeah. that's uh, that's the way it happens. Yeah, that's the way it happened to everybody that was on Kirk's security team. So
1: yeah, now as far well, as not? as far as messages, I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like there was a message. I mean, if we had seen that the Titans sort of you know suffered from having left Armas there, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you could you could do sort of a bigger sort of a bigger thing of like so so clean up your mess, boys and girls. Don't don't leave something laying around because somebody else will get hurt. Well, guess what? That's somebody else, and what do I care? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah right, right. And you know, we should all be that person who's like, "Well, no, no, we want to leave the planet better than we, you know, found it for the people who come after us." But so many of us just don't really, you know, mm-hmm. this styrofoam's not going to float back to me while I'm here, so we're not going to worry about it too much. Um, it's hard for me to see that that's a message because it doesn't affect the people that did it. No. There were little messages throughout, though. I mean, there's a, just a fantastic bit of character study. I think from Picard when he's talking to uh, to Armus about how evil Armus thinks he is. Armus is like, you know, what, I can't remember what the exact quote was. Um, something to the effect of a spirit is not free that serves something evil. It, it, that's not the exact quote, but it was something like that. And Armus says, "I don't serve evil. I am evil." And Picard's mm-hmm. like, no, nah, you're not evil. You think you're evil, but you're not. Evil would be submitting to you, surrendering our freedom and our dignity instead of defying you. That's, I mean, that's a that's a great quote that could be applied in so many different ways and in so many different places. It seems to right. me. I mean, standing up for what's right, standing up for what you believe in, not succumbing to somebody else's will simply, you know, simply to get by. Um, and it's, I mean, it, and it's throwaway. It's not throwaway, but I mean, it's not, it's not the point of the episode. Um. Crusher admitting fear, but not giving in, is another. It's not the point of the episode, but it's a good. It's a good moment, and it sort of parallels that one from Picard. It's earlier. It's when it's when um, Armis is making Data point the phaser at, at Crusher's head, mm-hmm. and he says, "Are you not afraid?" And she says, "Yeah, I'm afraid." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? Yes, I'm afraid, and there's you know, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give in to you just because you know he's trying to scare me. Data's contemplation at the end is interesting. It's a good character moment um it's not a message necessarily except you know and and sort of how we think about mortality how we how we handle that kind of thing yeah there's not an overall message though i mean this is not a this is not a, a capitalism run amok don't eat paint drugs are bad episode <laughs> right. i mean it's right. but but i mean there are there are things to pull out from it at least right. those, those are some that i found what about you
2: Yeah, I'll I'll go back to that moment that you mentioned about Crusher, because it seemed to me that everybody in this episode, whether it's uh, the Enterprise characters or Armas, everybody has to look fear in the eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Armus' fear is his loneliness and and the very nature of his existence. Um, The Enterprise crew are constantly being toyed with and tortured. Um, There is the element of the fear of death because they just watched Tasha die. So everybody in this episode has to face fear somehow and then decide how to deal with that. Um, Now, here we are faced with this enlightened, um, more say emotionally balanced crew <laughs> that, you know, had it been Kirk turning the uh, photon torpedoes on Armus, that would have been a very different story. But I, we are meant to pick up something from Picard from his handling of Armus and just saying, no, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to play your game of giving into the fear that you were trying to instill in me. I'm mm-hmm. still going to try to talk to you. And get what I want <laughs> you know, be tough and be strong. But I'm not going to become what you expect me to become because you've had however many centuries and millennia to uh to be fearful on your own.
1: That is actually a theme all the way through the episode as well. I mean when Picard's like, we're out and Armist says, wait a minute, I've got Riker and I've got the two people in the shuttle. I thought you cared about them and Picard's like, Yeah I do care about them, so let me see them. But if you're not gonna do that, I'm not gonna play. Yeah. I mean it really is a yeah it's wow it's yeah. it's almost a we don't negotiate with terrorists moment. Yeah. We don't give in. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. Not gonna, we're not going to we're yeah. not going to we're not going to bow to your will just because, you know, just because you hold something over us because then we're not free. You hold right. nothing over us. Yes, you've got things that would that would maybe that we would certainly like and we want to take care of our people, but you don't get to do whatever you want just because you're holding a few of them. Yeah. Man, this is a this is a this is a rich episode. This is a surprisingly, it is. Yeah. I would imagine that there's something that we miss that people may think that uh, we shouldn't have. Because we, we get <laughs> we get those messages and keep them coming. Uh, Facebook, yeah. Skype, and Twitter. The handle is MissionLogPod if you want to reach us in one of those places. Or you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, MissionLog at com. We have a fantastic website for you to check out, includes the discovered documents that John was mentioning earlier, and a bunch of other stuff, too. That is MissionLogPodcast.com. And there are two other places you can find us online, TrekMovie.com and TrekFM. That is at Trek.FM. Remember, any place you get in touch with us, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
2: Hey, Ken, uh, we may no longer have Tasha Yar, but I can tell you that next week... We'll always have Paris.
0: Some of the music formation Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I don't have the kind of time Tasha had, So let me just say to all of you. You're a shining star. And thanks. I'll make individual recordings for each of you soon. And transmission.